Well, good morning, Victory Midtown. If y'all excited to be here, just make a lot of noise. Don't make a little noise. Make a lot of noise for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen, it is great for us to be here on this first Sunday gathering of the year. And I I want y'all just to do something real quick. Y'all in close. So I need you to look at somebody next to you and say, you look good. Yeah, you look good. You spent time getting ready this morning. Tell them you look good. Some of y'all thought y'all were coming to the nine, but it took a little longer. Good to see you in the house today. Listen, I want to do something uh, before we jump into the message. First of all, Kendra and I welcome each and every one of you, whether you're in the room or worshiping with us online. We give a special welcome to you and say we don't take for granted the fact that you're here with us as God is moving and pushing us forward. The other thing that I want to say as we get ready to move into the message is that there's this thing, uh, as a matter of fact, it's a principle. It's a principle of first. And there's another way that people look at it. There's this term in business terms called the flywheel principle. How many people have heard of that? The flywheel principle. And what the flywheel principle says is that when you start something, you have success in one area of business. That success in that area will actually project you into other areas of success in the other areas of business. And so what it is is really about how you start because how you start can actually change the trajectory of how you're moving forward for the rest of that journey. And so what I want to do on this very first 11 o'clock service of 2023, I want us just to take a moment and give about a 30-second I made it praise. See, some of y'all are not going to wait on me. Some of y'all are been through enough stuff that you know you need to celebrate. Some people sitting next to you, they're looking like, I don't know if I'm going to be that type of loud. But I don't know about you, if you knew what I went through in 2022, If you knew how I had to get myself up some days to come in this place, if you knew how I had to go through hell and high water to keep a smile on my face, you wouldn't be sitting there that cute. Some of us need to stand up and say, God, I thank you. God, I praise you. God, if it's not for you, I would not be here. Lord, if it not had been for you on my side, I don't know where I would be. Come on, somebody got 10 more seconds. 10, 9, Let the devil hear you. Let God hear you. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's give him praise. Let's give him praise. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, that's just not a formality. Right there, some of you just sent the devil scattering. He thought you were just going to enter into this year, just kind of cute and say, I want to hear a sermon like I used to. But now you're here ready to walk in 2023. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give God one big more, one more praise. Hallelujah. Listen, one more thing I want to share before we jump into the Word. Uh, Many of you who have been here at Victory Midtown for a while or Victory Church over the years, you know every year at the end of the year, we collect what's called our Christmas gift to the world offering. And at the end of 2021, uh, we took up the offering, and every year we have great goals to actually bless a local and an international mission. And in 2021, you know, we saw God move. We actually broke the record that year for the highest giving that we've ever given in the history of victory. And so if you're paying attention, um, eggs at Publix are $8 now. (laughs) Stuff is a little expensive out here. And, you know, as we went into this year, we had great faith. But how many of you know, just like the Bible says, sometimes you're like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. (laughs) 
So we went into this year with faith and saying, hey, we're going to go after it. We're going to do it. But in a sense, even our senior leadership, we said we kind of recalibrated our expectations a little bit. We said, Lord, I know you did 800000 before, but if we can get 500000 that would be great. Let me tell you about our God. And let me tell you about you. This year, we broke the record again. You, you gave $825,000 so that we can be a blessing locally and internationally. That's somewhere to give God praise. When the economy looks like it's going down, God's economy is up. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we thank God for you. Thank you for each and every one of you who gave, knowing that all of that money, each dime, each cent goes to those missions so that we can actually impact the world. Amen? Amen. Listen, who's ready for the word now? Who's ready for the word? I'm ready for the word. What I want to say as we uh, jump into this, I'm excited about the fact that we made it, as we gave that I made it praise. But more than that, I'm even more excited about how God wants to make us. Yes, we made it through a year, but I believe that he's doing something new, even as Pastor Jamal said, and he's forming us if we can go along for the ride. And so, as we know, every year comes with new opportunities, new blessing, new resolutions that we put. But what I believe is that this year, I don't think it's going to be like any other year. And this is not just spiritual jargon. This is something I really sense and feel from the Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, behold, I will do a new thing. But in verse 19, God asks the question and interrogates us. He says this and puts the responsibility back on us and says, will you see it? Will you not know it? How many of you know you can be in the center, in the place of blessing, but not receive the blessing because you miss it? You can be in a place where change is happening all around you, and you're wondering why your neighbor is getting blessed, why they're shouting, and you're like, what happened? Because maybe you didn't recognize what was happening. And so I believe that just like the scripture asks us the question, will we see it? I believe we're going to see it this year. And here's the word for you. This is not going to be in your version Bible notes. Some of y'all, we're going to put that on the screen in a minute for how you can download that and get that today so you can follow along. But I want you to write this down because this is not in your notes. This is what I really sense for this body of believers. I believe that as we get started, that God has been very clear to me by saying, yes, I want to do some very great and new things to the people of Victory Midtown. Amen? Amen. But here's the part that I really need you to write down. What he's saying and what I felt he impressed upon me to share is that what I'm going to do in your life is going to take me to accomplish it. Let me slow that down. What it simply means is that God is saying, yes, I want to do some great things. Yes, I want to bless you. Yes, I want you to come into maturity. Yes, I want the sin habits to go away. But what I'm going to do in this season for your life is going to take you leaning into me in order for it to be accomplished. And so what that simply is saying, if you want to write this down, just I need to be totally dependent on God. Totally dependent on God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in the message today, but we need to be totally dependent on God. Because many of us have already started. We started writing our plans, our resolutions, and things like that. And if we're honest, it's week two and you're starting over. (laughs) Because in your own power, you can't do it. But God says, just like the prophet Jeremiah says, he says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to bring you into a great hope in the future. Not plans to harm you, but plans to bless you. And so I believe if we can grab that and be dependent on God, he is really doing something special. Does anybody agree with that? Amen. 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 So as we are going into this series, we're starting a brand new series today. 
And, and what I want to let you know is that this season that we're in is very significant, even as Pastor Tad said. Using that word, I think, was very appropriate for what I believe God is doing. In the last several weeks, I've had the privilege of running into many of you uh, in the store, in the gym, on the golf course, you know, on social media, at different places, at restaurants. Y'all know we like to eat. And the common theme that has been shared by everyone I'm running into and all the messages that we're getting on Instagram and social is that you're saying, you're saying, I believe God is doing something very special at Victory Midtown right now. I'm feeling like an anticipation. I believe that God wants to show me some different things. I believe that there's something different about this season. And so I agree with that. And as we agree with that, the sense that you have that's a commonality is like God is up to something. And I believe if that God is up to something, and he is, that there's something very important that we have to make sure that happens if we're going to walk out and receive everything he has for us. It's this simple word that I need us to be in agreement with. It's agreement. If we're going to operate in what God has for us, we as a body need to be in agreement. Say agreement. agreement. What do we need to be in agreement about? It's not that we all have to think the same. It's not that we all have to dress the same or act the same. What it is, is that we want to be in agreement about where God is taking us and how he's doing it and how he wants us to walk it out as a spiritual body of believers. And so with that, we want to make sure that this is an important thing that we focus in on. Why? Because everybody in here came into Victory Church at a different time, at a different season, at a different point of our lives and in the journey of the church. As a matter of fact, we shared this a few months ago that this past year in 2022, 1,600 men, women, boys and girls joined Victory Church as a whole. That's a lot of people, y'all. And so with that being a lot of people, what we know is that people see things differently. I want to do a quick little poll. How many of you in the room right now, if you're online, just put a little something in the chat. If you're in the room right now, I want you to raise your hand if you've been here only since 2021. Only since 2021. Yeah. I see a lot of hands. See, see we call you New Victory Midtown. <laughs> we love you. We're glad you're here. But listen, you won't know the struggles of the Woodruff Art Center. Ooh. You won't know the struggles of us being at the gathering spot. Shout out to Ryan Wilson at the gathering spot for being a great host for us for three years where we were able to cultivate a culture here. But in that time, we had some limitations. You don't know the struggle of being in children's ministry in the back in an office space that we had to retrofit, push a table up against the wall and sing Jesus loves me to the children. Now we have a whole wing for the children that are able to be equipped and blessed and raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Why is this important? It's important because as we know that there are different people that have come at different times, what tends to happen is everybody sees a particular place, environment, or organization through the eyes of the time when they came in. And so if you came here and you've been here, maybe one of our OGs from the Woodruff Art Center, you may be someone who sometimes gets stuck in seeing Victory Midtown through the eyes of what it was at the Woodruff. Or at the gathering spot, like, hey, I love being at the gathering spot. It was only a couple hundred people there, and we were good. Now, look around, look around, look around, look around. God's doing a new thing. And so we want to make sure that as we are going into new seasons, as we're going into a new direction, that we are very sober and we're together, say together, as we move forward. And so today, what we're going to be talking about, and actually over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about this series, We Are Victory. 
This is not like a marketing campaign. What it is is we want to gain understanding so that when people are asking you about the church you attend, you can speak about it intelligently. When people say, hey, what do they believe? What do you believe? You can say, I know who we are, I know why we do what we do, and I know what we're about. And so when we do this, what we need to know is that church was never meant just to be a place that you come and attend. Church is supposed to be, this body of believers here is supposed to be a place that you know you belong to. It's not a place where you're just coming to be a spectator. It's a place where you're coming to be a participator. It's a place where you know, hey, I'm not here just to observe. I'm here to be activated. Somebody say, I'm here to be activated. And so one thing I want to say before I get into the meat of this is that I truly believe this, and I want you to catch this because I'm going to say some things that really my spirit may actually be speaking louder than the words that I'm saying. So God's going to speak to you in some ways that only are going to be for you. But in this moment, as we hear about our name, Victory Church, I don't believe victory is just the name. It was like some good idea out of a think tank that we said that was the best thing we could come up with. I believe victory is actually a declaration prophetically of what you're supposed to experience every day of your life because you're connected here. That was a weak amen on this side. (laughs) I believe that if you say you're a part of this place, that you believe God called you here, that you receive your daily bread here, that you receive community here, that God wants you to not just say you're a part of Victory Church, he wants you to experience victory in your health. He wants you to experience victory in your relationships. He wants you to experience victory in your money. Can I get a big amen? He wants you to experience victory in everything for your children's children's children in your soul. He wants you to experience victory. And so if we can grab this and understand that that's what he wants, we have to be a people who understand the DNA of how we're moving forward. I want you to say something after me after I say it. I want you to practice saying this. Say, we are victory. Say it one more time. Say, we are victory. victory. Come on, say it with your chest. Say it one more time. Say, we are victory. victory. I love it. Right there, when you just said that, I want you to practice saying it, not because of the church name, but as you go throughout this week, when trials do come, say, I am victory. You're prophetically speaking to yourself. And so one of the things that I love about our church that really is something near and dear to my heart, is that our aim, we may not get it right all the time, but our aim is to always prioritize the things that God prioritizes. We want to make sure that we're not just on our agenda because it feels good or it sounds good or it's the latest trend. We want to make sure that we are prioritizing and focusing on what God says. And firstly, here's what I need you to know. This is in your notes on the YouVersion Bible app. But the first thing you need to know is victory is a church that is built on directed by and fueled by God through prayer. Let me say it again. Victory is a church that is built on, directed by, and fueled through God in prayer. As a matter of fact, if you're following along and you're taking notes, I hope you are, write this down. The title of this message is A House of Prayer. A House of Prayer. What I'm saying is that every significant moment, every strategic move, everything that we've done that has had any bearings for where we are today has come through prayer. And my challenge is, I want us to be a people, all of us, to be a people where that's not just something we say in the four walls on a Sunday. That's something we say in our lives that every decision I make is fueled by prayer. Every business opportunity I consider is filtered through prayer. Every relationship or situationship that wants to try to come my way, I filter it through prayer. If we can do that, we will save ourselves a whole lot of trouble. Somebody say amen to that. 
And so I'm saying that we are all about prayer. Now, some of you may say, well, well, why do you have these four pillars on the wall? You guys always are talking about the four pillars that you focus on, building families, uh, transforming communities, reconciling cultures, and impacting nations. Yes, those things are important, but they came and they were arrived at through prayer. Not only that, those are the things that kind of tell us what we do and how we do it. But the real question is, and what we really need to lean into is, who are we supposed to be? And if we can answer the question, who are we supposed to be, I want to give you a little bit of a a cheat code. We're supposed to be people of prayer. We're supposed to be, and we are sons and daughters that have a relationship with our Father that is intimate, that we connect with, that He speaks to us and actually shows us the way. Here's another major key that I want to give you as we're uh, navigating through this. One of the ways that you can actually discover what's important to God is that you have to prioritize what Jesus prioritizes. If you look in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, what you will notice is that after the disciples who were the closest to him spent a whole lot of time with him for about three and a half years or so, what you will see is that at his final days, they asked him about some very specific things. They saw him do miracles. They saw him walk on the water. They saw him do all these things. But when he was kind of on his last few days, they did not ask him of how you can set a new New Year's resolution. They did not ask Jesus about his advice about how to set new goals. Even though he was a great preacher, they didn't ask him how to preach. They didn't ask him how to do miracles. What did they ask him? They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. See, it's so important that if we take the clues and the notes that God has given us, what we see is that it was a setup the whole time. It's an open book test. And so as we look at this, I want to let you know that everything this church does is filtered through prayer. Kendra and I, when we first got here to Victory about five years ago, one of the things that we saw, we started attending a Saturday morning corporate prayer at Norcross, which we've now started here at Victory Midtown. Where are all my people that were at prayer yesterday? Y'all set the fire hot today. Right here, we're doing that at 8 a.m. because it's a place where you start to build culture in the spirit. It's a place where you start to take those things and you're not just praying for yourself or your selfish motives. We're saying we are those who are praying for the masses. And so I want to ask this question. It's somewhat rhetorical, and I kind of gave you a hint a minute ago. But the question is this. Did you know or are you aware that God actually kind of like puts cheat codes all throughout the Bible if we were read it? One of the cheat codes that he actually gives us is found in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Turn there if you have your Bible or if you have your YouVersion Bible app open. It says this, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, when you read that, immediately you may be saying, who is him? Him is the accuser. Him is the devil. Him is Lucifer. And so what we see right here is that it says we, are, we defeat the devil by the finished work of Jesus, who already died on the cross and it is finished, but we also defeat the devil by reminding ourselves of the things that God has done in our midst, even with our neighbor, even with yourself, recounting back how good he's been to us. That's why I felt like that moment when we praised God was so powerful, because some of y'all remember where you were last year. Some of y'all remember when you prayed that agonizing prayer, Lord, if you don't save me, I will not be saved. And so as we see this, what we know is that we triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. 
And so what I want to do is I want to take a few moments to remind some and announce to others a little bit about the history of how we've navigated prayerfully as a church over the last 30 plus years. I want you to get comfortable for a minute because I'm kind of going to go through a prayer journal of Victory Church, if that's okay. So listen to this. Just, just listen to this history. Starting back in 1989, our founding pastors, the Rouses, they were driving, they were praying around Spaghetti Junction and I-85, and they felt like the Lord gave them an unction of like, hey, here is where I want you to plant the church. And they actually planted the church right there in Norcross. What's significant about that is that at that time, Norcross was about 90% white uh, when it came to race that was living there. And what God had given them, he gave them a vision for a multicultural church. He didn't give them a vision for a monolithic church. Monolithic church. He didn't give them a vision for just one, one race, one creed. And so what happens is what they did not know is that in 1996, the Olympics would come to Atlanta and everybody and their mama start moving to Atlanta after that. Somebody say, we full. <laughs> everybody started moving. And what happened is that an area that was 90% Caucasian or white, it actually turned to being now the third uh, most diverse county in the country. And so God actually gave them a heads up before to put them in the way. Don't you know that God will sometimes actually make you move before it's time to move so that you're in the place when he moves? So what we saw there is that as God uh, prophetically set us up, set us up as a multicultural church, now in our church, Victory Church, we have over 142 nations represented. Look at somebody next to you. Say, you might not look like me, but I love you. <laughs> Here it is. God was showing us a glimpse of heaven, and we get an opportunity to see a glimpse of heaven every Sunday when we gather like this. But what else happened is right there, that property that Norcross is actually on right now, it was owned by Waffle House. And Pastor Dennis, he is a man of prayer. If I've never seen one, he actually felt like God was giving victory that property. And so what he would do is he would go to that property week after week and pray. And there was a spot where he put a stake in the ground and started to pray and, and really claimed it for, for the kingdom of God of victory. And so here's what happened. If you ever gone to our Norcross campus, there's this big steel cross right there on the campus in the main parking lot. That exact place is where the stake was put. And what happened is that he prayed in Waffle House, who said they would never sell the property, then end up saying, I don't even know why we're doing this. We do. They said, we're going to sell it to you for even $1 million less than what we even have it on the market for them. Somebody needs to praise God for that. See, that's just a sliver of the story. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. In 2009, our current senior pastors, Pastors Johnson and Summer Bowie, they received a, a dream from God that God wanted them to take the next step in leadership at Victory, not knowing that at the same time, Pastors Dennis and Colleen, they were praying about starting the first extension campus of Victory. And that's where the convergence came and Victory Hamilton, Hamilton Mill was born about 12 years ago. And then even about two years ago, as prayer continued to go forth, as our current senior pastors transitioned from there to now Norcross, pastors Chris and Lisa Fripp were prayed in because there was a need for leadership there at that campus to shepherd those people there. Somebody say, there's more. Then in 2016, Victory Midtown was born. Somebody say yes. Victory Midtown was born in 2016. But listen to this. At that time, tragedy hit. The original pastors that actually planted this particular campus, 
The wife passed away very suddenly, pretty much right after the campus was started. Some of you were even friends with that family. And what happened, there was interim leadership for about a year and a half. Our former worship pastor, Pastor Todd, and his wife, uh, Liz, they actually held things down and led. While at the same time, somebody say the same time. At the same time, God was prayerfully navigating my wife Kendra and I through a new season, and God put us together, and now we began starting to lead this campus in 2018. And so, yeah, it's all right to clap. It's all right. It's all right to clap. It's all right. But from that, it didn't stop there. Even this building that we're sitting in, listen to this, prayerful. This building that we're in is a culmination of 36 no's before we got 37, the, the number 37, and got yes. 37 places we looked at over across the city that we thought we were almost there, we're almost there. And then God said, nope, I have something better for you, strategic for you, specific for you. And so what I want you to do right now is to understand prayer, and I want you just to touch the seat that you're sitting in. Touch the seat. It's comfortable, right? Nice little cushion. Let me let you know, you are literally not even just sitting in a seat. You are literally sitting in a prayer answer. You are sitting in fasting results. You are sitting in a place right now that people fasted and prayed to see. As Pastor Dennis years ago said, we want to extend the vision of victory in the city. And somebody say, we are here now. But here's the thing, it's still not over. In 2021, God spoke to Pastor Jeff Hidden about merging Victory North. He prayed about actually coming back under the auspices of Victory Church. And what happened is that we all prayed and God made it happen. And in January 2022, right before he passed away to go on to be with the Lord, Pastors Darius and Melba Dunson, they took over that campus. And now they're leading it bravely in a great way as they shepherd those people right there. I got a couple more things I need to share with you because we need to understand this. Hear this. Stay with me. God has been so faithful with us as a church that not just about starting locations, God actually is leading us spiritually about what our call is and how we're supposed to impact. You've heard us say over the last two years that uh, we're supposed to reach one million people for the gospel. But not only that, God can actually, you know, he can actually uh, navigate your money too. In 2022, through prayer, we were offered, like a lot of people as a church, we were offered what was called bailout money. And for our church during the COVID season, that would have been millions of dollars. Now, let me just tell you, on behalf of the senior leadership, it was tempting. But we prayerfully saw that we were not supposed to receive that money and that we were supposed to trust the Lord over trusting the government to be our source. But it gets better. That weekend when we said no after we had a board meeting, we had one of the largest offerings to date in our church history without even announcing it, without asking for an extra offering, without anything, because we said Jehovah Jireh is real. Last couple things. Last year, we even talked about launching house churches. And this week, all of a sudden, it's like now we've launched now 50 house churches, and some of us are represented right here. Some of us are even watching, even from Midtown. Hey, y'all, if y'all are watching, we thank God that we're able to be obedient and see the prayerful moves of God actually come to fruition as we stand in his presence. And so I'm saying all these things because I want you to know something. The common denominator of all these things is what? It's prayer. The common denominator is prayer. And so this is important because this is not just a nice thing that we clap about and say that's for them over there. Why? Because if God can do it for this house, he can do it for your house. If he can do it for this house, 
He can actually find your address and do it. If he can actually guide us through financial situations, he can guide you through financial situations. That's why we say, we are victory. Say it one more time. Say, we are victory. And so the reason I took time, I know some of y'all are like, you know, that was a lot of details. You know, maybe you could have just sent us an email. <laughs> have y'all ever been in those meetings where somebody said, why did I show up? This could have been an email. <laughs> no, we needed to hear that because we need to be reminded and we need to know the history. Listen to this. The reason why is because the devil will try to discourage you from thinking prayer doesn't work. Yeah. Sometimes you need to hear about how he moved in somebody else's life so that you can get faith of how he wants to move in your life. And so do you want to know one of the main reasons why he tries to discourage us? Do you want to know? Can we get the first lean in of the year? Come on. Lean in. Lean, lean in. Some of y'all are like, what are y'all doing? Just, just follow everybody else. Follow everybody else. Lean in. I need to tell you something very important. See, the devil wants to try to discourage you from praying because he knows, listen to this, even those online, he knows that if you can be discouraged from prayer, you will disregard your power. Come on, stay with me. If you can be discouraged from praying, you will disregard your power. If you can be discouraged to think that God doesn't hear you, he doesn't care about you, what you'll do is you'll just go along to get along. If you can be discouraged from praying when family situations happen, you'll just say, I guess this is the way it has to be. If you can be discouraged from prayer, what you will do is when you get that diagnosis from the doctor, you will believe the diagnosis instead of believing the healer. And what we know right here is that prayer has power, dynamic power. Prayer has power and purpose. Prayer has something that he wants to actually give us that we cannot do on our own. Somebody say amen to that. And so we have a history here of following prayer. I want to say it like this. Jesus said something very clear about where our priority should be in Mark chapter 11. In verse 17, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, what Jesus is saying right here is that if the church is supposed to be about one thing, somebody say one thing. If it's supposed to be about one thing, it's supposed to be about prayer. And so what we need to really grab, I really hope, just like Pastor, said, Pastor Tad said, that you're just not kind of like hearing this, like, oh, he's hyped because he had coffee this morning. Or he's just saying this because he's supposed to be saying this. No, this is a major key alert. God really wants you to get this, and I really want you to get this. Prayer is one of the most beautiful gifts that we could ever receive. Why? Because it's essential for our lives. It's essential for our lives. And there are some important truths that I just want to share with you that some people spoke about that I think will actually help us. Number one, the reformer Martin Luther, he said this. He says, our people live well because they pray well. The theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. He says, a day without morning and evening prayers and personal intercessions is actually a day without meaning or importance. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. The great poet and liturgical dancer, <laughs> the Reverend Dr. M.C. Hammer, he said it like this, you have to pray just to make it today. <laughs> Listen, that's funny, but it's real. If we're not praying, we don't tap into the power of what God has for us. 
And so after I've shared all these things about prayer, and we kind of know we should be praying more, we know we should be doing it. Some of us, we just got introduced to this for the first time. The question that I need to ask us today is why then do we not pray or do we not pray enough? Two major things I want to give you. Number one, I want to let you know what prayer is. And the first thing that is to know is that prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is intimacy with God. See, we said this in our Christmas service a couple of weeks ago that we were not created just to serve God. We were not created to be his hype man or his hype woman like he was uh, insecure. We were created by God because he wanted to love us. He wanted to love us and be in relationship with us and actually care for us. And so what we're saying right here is that we need to know the real reason God desires closeness with us. Psalm 27 verse 8 says it like this. My heart has said to you, this is God talking to us, my heart has said to you, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Now, when we hear that for some of us 70s and 80s babies, we might think Jodeci sampled from that right there. Talking about come and talk to me. I really want to know your name. I'm not going to sing the rest, baby. I'll sing it to you later. But what we need to know is that as God is desiring to have us come talk to him, we need to be those who says, Lord, I am coming to talk to you. I'm not going to just let this stay out there. I really want a relationship with you. And so for some of us who have been a part of different churches or no church at all, let me give you the simple definition of prayer. Write this down and send your notes. Prayer at its most basic level is talking and listening to God. Prayer, at its most simple, basic level, is talking, but very importantly, listening to God as well. Because God's presence is not for us just to give him a prayer list. We're to listen for a response if we declare that we believe that he is in relationship with us. And so with this loving God that we serve, our creator, he wants relationship with us. He wants friendship with us. And let me dispel some myths that may have come your way over the years, maybe in different churches, is that prayer is not restricted simply to this little place or this particular time or the four walls of the church. It's not where you only can get through the line with God if you posture yourself in this particular way. But let me tell you something. The more time you spend with God, the more you want to create space, the more you want to create time to be with him. And so as we hear this, we need to grab this because we need to stop kind of just putting God in a box. Let me, let me just share with you my testimony. I, I, I pray at home. I pray when I'm in the gym. I pray when I'm in meetings. I pray when I'm getting my hair braided and cut. I pray when I'm holding my son. I pray sometimes after I've already started, started to eat. Lord, bless this food I'm already eating. I'm, I'm sorry. I pray on the plane. I pray in traffic. I pray everywhere because what I'm saying is that, God, I don't want to be out here by myself. I need intimacy with you. I need you to order my steps. I need you to show me the way. I'm not smart enough to do this thing. And so this is important because intimacy, listen to this, intimacy with God, the God of heaven, produces confidence in the matters on earth. Let me say that one more time. Intimacy with the God of heaven produces confidence in the matters that happen here on earth. Let me break that down to you. My wife and I, we are married. We are intimate with each other. And I'm not just talking about what married people do, having sex. I'm, what I'm talking about is that I take time to listen to her. 
I take time to connect with her. I take time to learn her nonverbal cues. I take time to know when she's frustrated, even if she doesn't say something. And so what that does, it allows me to have a confidence that when we're out and about or we're doing something or we're in an intense situation, I don't have to worry about how she's going to respond. Because we've been intimate enough and had enough conversations that when something pops off, I kind of can guess, okay, she's going to do either one or two things. There are times that we might get separated at the mall or something because she goes somewhere over here and I'm over here. We kind of have this, this mo radar. Because it's like, okay, he's going to probably do one of these things and we'll kind of meet right here. What am I saying? I'm saying that because we spend time with each other talking in the moments where things are peaceful, when turbulence happens, I have a confidence. I don't have to guess how she's going to act when, when, you know, she starts to speak on CNN. She's not going to get the big head because we've already talked about that. I don't have to worry how she's going to act, you know, when she steps out looking good. And that's every day. But what I'm saying here is that sometimes we over-spiritualize these things. And what God is saying is, I need you to have confidence with me. Let me just share this. When we were here praying on Wednesday for this service with our entire team, we prayed and we got done. And I looked at all of them and I said, I'm excited about what's going to happen on Sunday. I'm excited about how God is going to speak to people, how God is going to heal people, how people are going to get connected in community. Why? Because we spent time with God, there's a confidence that we have that when I come out into the open now, I have a different swagger because I know, God, I'm not out here by myself. You actually filtered this whole thing for me. And so we need to have confidence. It's a place where our heart comes alive. But here's another thing. Intimacy and prayer is a place where you're able to be really honest with God. I'm talking about really, 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 really honest with God. I'm talking about those things that not, only your, not even your wife knows you're dealing with. I'm talking about those things that are on the inside of you that you're navigating through and you're wondering, God, what's going on? I need an answer so that I can be the right person that you want me to be in this life. This happened to me even this week where I was in prayer and and I'm sitting there and I'm worshiping God. I'm, I'm reading the scriptures. And as I started to listen, hear me, when I started to listen to the Lord, I felt this prompting and I asked God a question. I said, God, and I said this like he doesn't know. I said, God, you know, sometimes at home, I'm not the nicest person all the time. Now, I could blame it on being hangry. I could blame it on the fact that I didn't get my workout in yet. I, I could blame it on the fact that I'm an Enneagram 8, I'm a challenger. I could blame it on the fact that Myers-Briggs says I'm an ENTJ. But if I'm really honest, I have to humble myself. I have to humble myself and say, God, you called me not about being a preacher. You called me to be a representation of you. And so I'm asking the Lord, God, what's really going on with me? Yeah, there's some stress happening. There's some things going on. But I have to be humble enough in that moment, honest enough in that moment to say, God, I don't want to be this way anymore because it's not according to your character. And so in that moment, he's able to talk to me because I'm able to be honest. Too many of us are lying to God like he doesn't already know the matters of your heart. But what happens is that when you're honest with God, that gives him permission to actually move in your heart. 
And so when we talk about intimacy with God, I want to read this Psalm 116, verse 1. It says it like this. It says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Hear this and write this down. Prayer was never meant to be religious and rigid. It's meant to be intimate and relational. Prayer, it was never meant to be religious and rigid. It is meant to be intimate and relational. What am I talking about? You know some of those seasons of our lives where we're like, I got to give God his time. You know, I, I, need, I didn't pray for 30 minutes today, so I'm now feeling condemned. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is that it's meant to be intimate that every step you take, you are in relationship and fellowship with him. Amen? Number two, what is prayer? Prayer is initiating change in the world. It's initiating change in the world. I have somewhat of a rhetorical question for you, but I need you to take this in. Do you actually know how important you are to God? I would venture to say that many of us, because of different things that people have said through different experiences, we don't really know how God really sees us. You are not just some little wretch undone that's just trying to make it day by day. God, in his word, in Genesis, says you are to rule, subdue, and have dominion. He said that you are to be stewards over what happens here in the earth. And so what I want you to know is this, and it's in your notes, prayer is a partnership with heaven which brings change to the earth. Prayer is a partnership with heaven that brings change right here on this earth. That's why we say your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What we're saying is that, God, I want to be in line with what you're doing so that I can be a part of how you're doing it. And so that's why, even when you probably heard the word intercession or intercede, that's why we intercede on behalf of the world. We intercede on behalf of our family members. We intercede on behalf of people who are trying to find God or situations. Why? Because what we're doing is that we're saying, God, I'm a part of this. I'm a partner with you. As a matter of fact, write this down. This is not in your notes. The etymology of the word uh, intercessor actually connotes go-between. The source, the root of the word intercessor actually means go-between. So what this means is that I am in between the thing that is happening and the results that's supposed to happen. You are an intercessor. I saw this picture this morning while I was working out that you actually are like a cornerback. Deion Sanders is my favorite cornerback, you know, in the NFL history. But it's like you're like Deion Sanders and somebody's looking to throw the ball. And what you're saying is that something needs to change in this environment. Something needs to change in this game. So when the ball is thrown, you intercept. You are the go-between where that person was trying to get the ball and the other person because you need something different to happen. So as the go-between, what we need to understand is that we have power, we have strength, and we have authority. Watch this, only if we pray. Only if we pray. Only if we can actually know that the source that we're walking and navigating through is God. And so 2 Chronicles, a very familiar verse of Scripture when it comes to this, says something very key, but I want you to pay attention to the details. Listen to this. Chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What does it say? Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Key word, if. 
That's a prerequisite statement that if this doesn't happen, this won't happen. And so what God is simply telling us, he's laying it out right here. He's saying, if my people will be humble, if my people will be honest, if my people would actually come to me with prayer, then I can do some stuff. Then I can change this world through them. Then I can change and heal this land. I said this during our Christmas uh, uh, program. A lot of people blame darkness on darkness instead of saying, why is the light not doing its job? A lot of us are asking, why is stuff going haywire? Why is everybody so messed up? Are we being the light that we're supposed to be? Are we praying into the things that could actually create change? And so Charles Spurgeon says it like this. He says, whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. I love that. And so with all these things that I've said, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray enough? Here it is. We, we received as Victory Church, I want to give you this last thing. We received as Victory Church a prophetic word that is for the house where it concerns prayer. And the backdrop of this particular prophetic word was the story in the Bible about Uzzah and the ark. Now, I even had to re-familiarize myself with this story, so I'm going to read through it a little bit just to bring us all together. When we look at this Bible story, the Philistines, they, they actually captured the Ark of the Covenant, which is actually the literal physical place where the presence of God lived on the earth during that time. And so this is before Jesus came to the earth. And what happens is that they saw the Ark as a good luck charm. And so they stole it. They took it. But what happened is that everywhere they started to take the Ark, they started seeing curses. Everywhere they took it, they were like, something's not right about one of these things. And so finally, they got a clue, and they said, get this away from me. We don't want this anymore. And what they did is they actually parked it at a man named Abinadab's house. And so when they did that, it stayed there for 20 years. And when it stayed there for 20 years, when David becomes king, he goes and he gets the ark. And the story really lines it out like this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Follow me for a moment. It says this. It says, David again brought together all of the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Belah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord God Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. Stay with me. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. They were happy with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down. He killed him, and he died there beside the ark of God. So stay with me for a moment. Real quickly, David, he takes 30,000 men to Abinadab's house to get this ark. And what happened, this, they brought this new cart to actually pull this ark. Listen, they put the ark on a cart. That's going to be significant. They put the ark on a cart. And so what the story kind of says, make this like today. They were having a good time. They were going down the street. It's like they were playing Victory House worship music, all the songs we like. They put on a little Wande Day and Lecrae so they can be lit in that moment. And what happens, all of a sudden, there was a stumble. 
And so in that stumble, now Uzzah, he like says, okay, I don't want the presence of God to fall, so I'm going to actually put my hand up. And some of us are like, God killed him for trying to help him? <laughs> Let me tell you something. The significance here in this moment is that obedience is better than sacrifice. There are sometimes there are things that we think are good, but they're not God. There are sometimes things that we do with good intentions trying to help God. And God said, I really don't need that help. I first need you to be obedient. And so as we see this, you know, God kills him and David loses it. I think I would lose it too. I'm like, God, is I, am I next? And so right here, the million-dollar question has always been, why did God kill Uzzah? Let me, t- let me show you. When God gives very specific instructions to the Israelites on how to create this ark, Listen to what he says. In Exodus chapter 25, he says, Cast four ring, gold rings for it and fasten them on its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to do what? Carry it. And so it goes on and says, how is it supposed to be transported? Here are instructions. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all of the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come and do the what? Carrying. Carrying. But they must not what? The holy things, or they will what? The Kohathites are to what? Those things that are in the tent of meeting. Here it goes. God had already told them how to handle the ark. God had already told them how to handle his presence. And so what we see right here is that the ark was never meant to be carried with more ease because that's a more convenient thing. The ark was actually designed to be carried. What am I saying? We need to be a people who understand that even sometimes when it seems easier to do the thing that God says in a different way, we need to do it how he said do it. Because so many times what we do is we take things into our own hands and we touch what we shouldn't be touched because God says he wants to touch it. I'm hearing this for somebody right now in the room right now or watching online. You've been going through some turmoil. You've been going through even a fight. And there are some people that, that you feel are actually conspiring against you. And you are actually tempted to go take things in your own hands. You're tempted to go do something physical. You're tempted to go do something and sabotage. And I hear this as the word of the Lord. Trust God. Take your hands off of it and let him do the work. I don't know who that's for, but you need to receive it in Jesus' name. Listen to this. Three months later, when David comes back to finish the task of bringing the ark into Jerusalem, let's see how he does it because he learns from the mistake. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12, he says this. It says, so David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord now had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen, linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. We've heard that before, dance like David danced. While he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Let me make this very real and practical to us. As I did some research, it says that the distance from between Obed-Edom and the city of David was about 12 to 15 kilometers, which actually equals about 9.5 miles. What it says here is that every six steps, he would stop and make a sacrifice to God. 
For those of us who actually chart our workouts on our Apple Watch or Fitbit, that was about 30,000 steps. And so what this translates to is that if it's a a true thing that he actually sacrificed after every six steps, that's about 5,000 sacrifices. That's a whole lot of blood. That's a whole lot of effort. But why do I believe he did this? He took this reverence because he had learned from his situation before. He had learned from before so much that he would say, God, I have such of the fear of the Lord that every few steps I take, I need to reevaluate if I'm doing this right. Every few steps I take, I need to make sure that I consult you, God, and actually sacrifice and say, God, I know I can't do this without you. Every few steps I take, I need to stop and say, God, I've been kind of on my own way. I've kind of gotten comfortable doing it this way. I need to make sure that I'm actually jolting my mind back into specificity to do what you've called me to do. And so what we're seeing here and the principle behind this is simply this. When it comes to praying, when it comes to actually fulfilling what God has for you, when it comes to following in his presence, it comes with sacrifice. It comes with intention. There's even stories in the Bible that talks about the temple steps that are created, that they're created uneven so that you can't just casually walk into the presence of God. That if you casually try to walk into the presence of God, you'll fall on your face. God is saying, I need you to be attentive, I need you to be intimate, and I need you to come to me with reverence. And so as we see this, we now see that we need to handle God's presence in a carrying fashion, which simply means it's not always going to be convenient, which means this. I want to say it like this. You can't cart what's meant to be carried. You can't cart what's meant to be carried. What does that mean? You can't put the presence of God and your life with God on autopilot. You cannot be. Let me tell you, this is, again, I'm I'm feeling this real strong for us. In 2023... You cannot put God on autopilot. In 2023, you cannot just subject yourself and say, hey, I'm going to actually subscribe to a YouVersion Bible app on read mode and only let it read to me while I'm working out or riding in my car, and that's all that I'm going to get. That can be a supplement, but you can't let that be your primary diet. Can I share something with you from my own life? Even in this season, we have a 19-month-old. And so our human alarm clock, Maximus, He's going to get up by 6.15 every morning. And so what happens is that that used to be the time where I would get up and spend time with the Lord. If I was just to kind of cart this thing and say, I'm going to kind of let this go on autopilot, I'd say, God, you know my heart. God, you, I was going to get up at 6.15, but he got up. And so if I was just going to go on autopilot, I would just grab him. And I, while I'm feeding him, I would just say, Lord, this is going to be my prayer time today, I guess. Oh, that's all I can do. Now, that's okay if that's sometimes. But what I've had to do is I've had to press in even deeper. I've had to press in and get up at 5.30 in the morning so that I can spend time with God, have my head clear with God. Yeah, somebody looking at me like, 5.30? You know, yes, I had to do it because I had to do what was necessary for me to make sure that I didn't do this in a way that I was just carting it, but I was carrying it. And so here's what I'm really saying. Prayer was never meant to be comfortable. We have to be a people who understand that prayer sometimes will cause bruises on us. It was something that's going to make us uncomfortable. And so as we're talking about this, I want to read this last scripture to you because I believe that as we have a call to hold heartedness, what we're saying is we're saying the same thing that Jeremiah says in 29 verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, today as we call ourselves to hold heartedness, What we're doing is simply saying that I'm not going to put on the cart what I'm supposed to carry. 
that during this next season, as we're in this fast, I'm going to take this fast seriously. Food might not be my vice. It might not be my portion. It might not be something I'm going to fast from, but social media might be. You know, these other habits might be, but whatever it is, let's do something together to take this seriously, to push into a new dimension with God. Amen? So this is what I want to do. We're going to close out by taking communion. On your way in, you should have received elements. If you didn't receive them, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will get one to you. As you're taking that out, I want to just say this over you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 28 actually speaks to how we're supposed to posture ourselves when it comes to taking communion. And what happens is that a lot of times we focus on the body, we focus on the blood of Jesus, but there's a very key portion in this particular scripture that says, examine yourself. And so as we're talking about being people who don't just cart the presence of God, I want us to take about 30 seconds to examine ourselves and to see where is it that I've been operating on autopilot? Where is it that I need to actually start to carry God's presence in a way that I haven't done before? So if you would, the ushers are coming around to get those final few people who need your elements, but everybody else, just go ahead and bow your heads for a moment. Bow your heads. Start to just ask the Lord with honesty, where are the areas that I've put you on autopilot? Where are the areas that I've taken you for granted? that you're asking me to press into in this season. With your head still bowed, I want to just speak to a few people who came in here today looking for Jesus who came in here today saying, I know that my life is not enough by myself, that I want to make sure that my heavenly security is in place. That not only that, I want to make sure that I'm actually live, living with the fullness of what God has for me, and I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, or if you're someone that says, hey, in 2023, I'm rededicating my life to walk with him fully, with every head bowed, just lift your hand to me so I can pray with you. I see you, hands going all, all, all over the room. See you. Victory Midtown, repeat this prayer after me, everybody. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice. Today, I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've operated. And I turn towards the way you want me to operate. Holy Spirit, help me to live for you. Change my heart. Change my mind and allow me to be all you've called me to be. From this day on, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you put your heads up right now? Can you put your hands together right now for those people who just made that decision? Listen, we're going to take this because we prayed for healing. And what we're doing, the Bible says that Jesus talked to his disciples. He says, do this often in remembrance of me. And what this is, is a reminder of his sacrifice for us. So take out that bread on the top. What we're saying right now when we take this bread is we're saying that Jesus, he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you so that you can be healed. What we're doing is we're appropriating and accepting the healing of Jesus. So right now, 
agree with that and let's take together and eat. When we take this cup, what we're saying is that this is the blood of the new covenant where forgiveness of sins was made possible. And so when we take this, we're not saying some magical thing happens when you drink this juice. We're saying that we agree that Jesus' sacrifice said that I am whole, that I am forgiven, and that I am walking clean in the eyes of God. Let's take together, if you believe that and receive it, and drink. Some buckets are going to come across you just to put those elements in, but right now I'm just going to pray over you, and Pastor Taz is going to come up and close the service. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now that on this first Sunday gathering of the year, We've come together to know you more intimately. We've come together to say that we are going to be initiators of change. And right now, God, we thank you that we hear this word, and we're not just hearers, but we are doers. I declare that this people will live and not die to declare the mighty work of the kingdom, and we will see victory after victory after victory as we operate as victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, victory.